last week uh, we examined uh, Paul's change, and then we said that Paul's change was not a religious change. A uh, person who was atheist became a Jew or a Christian? No. A person who was Buddhist and changed the religion and uh, became a Christian? No. Uh, his change was not a religious change. And his change was not a moral change. A person who used to be uh, bad, uh, ethically uh, questionable, uh, became a very nice person and good moral person? No. Paul was already very religiously uh, devout uh, and morally he was upright. So there was nothing to change in terms of religion or morality. His change, if I may summarize his change, just simple. Very self-focused person became very God-centered person. Uh, so even though he had a, ze a zeal for God, that was very much about his uh, understanding of God. So everything was in his term. Even if you come to church, if everything is in your own term, then is it like Paul before meeting Christ? Oh, yeah, I'll co come to church. I'll do this. I'll do that. All that. Uh, I do that for God. But everything is in my term. Paul used to be. Everything was in his own term. And then all of a sudden, uh, everything he saw from Christ's perspective. So perspective has changed. It was not just about everything about himself, but it was about uh, how Christ uh, showed him. That's why for him, knowing Christ was the most important thing, surpassing value, uh, knowing Christ, because through Christ, he got everything. Through Christ, he got everything. That's wonderful. How can a person have so much blessings from Christ, risen Christ? And uh, we are talking about one person's understanding of Christ, but that one person's understanding of Christ became the defining understanding of Christianity. It's a wonderful thing that this one person did. So we want to study this person's understanding of Christ. The goodness he realized had nothing to do with himself. I cannot be a good person, he realized. Goodness had nothing to do with himself. Goodness is what Christ made for him. Christ made him good. It was not his own intelligence that brought understanding, but it is Christ who revealed so much wisdom 
and so much truth to him. This perspective change was Paul's core theology. Everything is around this perspective change. That's Paul's theology. From self to God, from self to Christ. And then when that happened, when he was able to go beyond himself, he could be more real about himself and more honest about himself. He experienced uh, total emancipation from himself, total liberation from himself. I wonder what that looks like when you are totally emancipated from yourself. And what do you become? And that's what happened to Paul. He could be one thing that happened to him when he was totally able to emancipate himself from the self. One thing that happened to Paul was he was very comfortable with his weaknesses. He was very comfortable with his vulnerability. He wasn't shy about his weaknesses. He didn't have to hide about his weaknesses. He was able to embrace his weaknesses without fear. We all live with this fear of our own dark self, inferior self, weak self. We are very worried about that. And when that is exposed, we don't feel good. When your morality is questioned, when your integrity is questioned, when your honesty is questioned, when your goodness is questioned, you don't feel good because we depend on those things. And yet, Paul was very comfortable with his own weaknesses. When he was able to emancipate from himself, he was able to embrace his own weaknesses. We can see this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Very strong person he became. He was all right his weaknesses. He didn't have to cover it. He didn't have to live with self-pity. He didn't have to live suffering from all obsessed about uh, their own, his own weaknesses. 
you could put that away and move on. And rather, Christ's power became manifest in himself. That's human victory in a way. That's a powerful uh, thing that can happen to any one person. When you are arrive with we, uh, your weaknesses and you are able to move on with Christ's strength, that is a powerful way of living your life. This happened right after he experienced going to third heaven. I mean, this third heaven, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. And, um, this is metaphor. It's a, it's a place where you cannot really uh, go. This is the ultimate kind of experience he had. He, he said he went to third heaven. And he heard the words that he could not even uh, say it in human uh, words. And he experienced that. After he experienced that, God gave him thorn so that he may not be boastful. And in this thorn, he was struggling with this thorn. So he prayed three times. Three times doesn't mean that he only th prayed three times. He prayed as much as he could. So he prayed for God to take away this thorn, but instead of God taking away those thorns, he gave this word. My grace is sufficient on you. You live with that thorn, but I'll make you strong. That's what, he, what God is saying. You think that without thorn, you can be better, but let me tell you, live with thorns. Live your thorns, but I'll make you strong. So even in your weaknesses, you will be able to experience power. So I'm really, I'm not interested in Paul's teaching uh, alone. But what I'm really interested in is, what is that experience that brought about that teaching? That's what I'm interested in. Not the, not the teaching itself, but what experience did he have to bring about that kind of teaching? And that kind of teaching was totally new teaching, radically new teaching, and next 2,000 years, it governed all our thinking, all human thinking for last 2,000 years. We cannot think be apart from Paul's thinking. Because that thinking was, I mean, grace, about redemption, and everything about Christianity, everything. He defined everything. And it, other than that, we cannot even think about anything else. And, and it, what brought him, what experience brought that kind of teaching? What did he experience? I realized that. He experienced grace. Grace. He brought out the concept of grace. His teaching is soaked with grace. All 
all about his teaching within it, when you look at it, there is grace that is flowing underneath. It is grace that he experienced. Grace was released in him. Thorn that made him weak and vulnerable, that was nothing compared to the power of grace that he experienced. He experienced this reversal truth. When I'm weak, I am strong. When he was weak, God was strong. He must decrease so that Christ may increase. It's like John the Baptist. I must decrease and Christ must increase. That's what John the Baptist experienced. Our life should be like this. Live with grace. And grace has to be functional, not conceptual. I mean, we all heard about grace. All our lives we heard about grace. But if it is conceptual grace, it doesn't have any power. It has to be functional grace. You cannot just know grace in language. What, what is important about language is that if the language, the content is missing, empty, the language doesn't have any power. Language is a language. Language itself does not have power. So if you know grace only in language, it doesn't mean anything. Language, language signifies the reality. What's important is the reality, not the language. What signifies the reality? Language is only uh, 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 signifies uh, the reality. If I say this is the, the table, then the word table is not what's important. But what is uh, what it signifies that reality? That's what's important. So if if you know grace only in uh, language, it doesn't mean anything. You can say, anybody can say, uh, talk about, oh, I live by grace and all that. It doesn't mean anything. So like, for example, uh, if, I, if my finger points to the moon, what's important is not my finger. What's important is the moon. That's what's important. Finger is just what signifies the moon. So don't look at this finger. Look at the moon. So in the same way, the language itself, so many times, the reason I'm, I'm saying all this is because so many times we dwell in the language rather than in spiritual reality. So there is a difference between conceptual grace and functional grace. And then Paul experienced this functional grace. And a grace truly worked within him. So his apostleship, his gospel is given to him by God's grace, not by human beings. And that's what Paul experienced. So, I mean, we are blessed because through the gospel, we can see the teachings of Jesus on earth. And through Paul's letters, we can see 
uh, teachings of the exalted Christ. So Jesus on earth, historical Jesus teaching, and the teaching of the exalted Christ. We have both. Isn't it wonderful? That we have both teachings of Jesus Christ. While he was alive uh, on earth, he taught us all so many, and her gospel writers recorded all that. And then Paul recorded all the teachings of this exalted, uh, resurrected Christ uh, for us. And we are studying that. In the, in the spring, we studied uh, uh, teachings of historical Jesus through the gospel. But uh, now we are studying the uh, exalted Christ uh, teachings of exalted Christ. That's what Paul experienced, grace. And then that experience was so powerful. Every day, he was filled with new revelation. Every day, he lived by grace. Nothing else but grace. What is your life like? Is that grace? functional in your life or conceptual? Do you know it in language or do you know it in reality? You have to ask yourself. If you know it in language, there is no salvation. There's no salvation. But when you know it in reality, then there's a powerful redemption emancipation that you experience in your life. So many times I see, I mean, I've been doing this ministry for how many years? More than 40 years. So many times I see people only dwell on the language rather than real things. So today, uh, let's look at verse 3 uh, to 5. Uh, this is uh, how Paul understood Jesus or Christ, the exalted Christ. So only that part. Last week, we read through chapter 1, uh, but I want to just focus on these uh, two, uh, three passages. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. That's very important word. The present evil age. According to the will of our God, God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The present evil age. What dawned on Paul after meeting Christ was that the age he lived was the dark age. This present evil age. So he experienced that Christ brought a new age. What began with a one person, Adam, somehow permeated through the whole world and created this dark, evil age. That's why later we'll look at it, but 
Paul saw Jesus as the second Adam. We'll study that later. But he, he realized that so far, the age he lived was dark, evil age. It's not about his own faults and mistakes and sins and uh, faults and errors. He's not talking about these individual mistakes. He realized that everyone is affected. Everyone is blinded. So the water is here. The reason I brought this water was not to, for me to drink it, but to give you uh, somehow uh, the visual uh, so that you can remember. Yeah, this is a Beatles uh, fountain pen. This is why water This was dropped. Drop of ink was dropped. And soon, the whole water became dark. Doesn't matter inside. Oh, I'm like this. I'm not like that. And I'm better than you. I'm more righteous than you. Uh, you know, doesn't matter. You're all in this dark age. You... Everyone was affected and influenced. So, Paul didn't say it, but when you read Acts, Luke said something like scale came off from his eye. So his life was like some kind of scale was covering his eyes that he could not see what he ought to see. So even, even if he had understanding of God, that understanding was clouded because he was in this dark, evil age. It was his thinking, his attitude, his lifestyle, his value. He thought that he was righteous. Even that righteousness was not righteousness at all. His righteousness was sinfulness, he realized. He was full of himself. He was full of uh, falsity. He was full of uh, the hypocrisy. He realized that he was completely uh, clouded, covered by this dark age. And the ultimate destiny is a death. It's not about how innocently you live. And how well you do individually, we are all affected. We all have become blinded and enslaved. That's why he quoted Isaiah that all ships 
uh, were scattered, fell away from God. They went their own ways. He, re he, he clicked, like John uh, said. He, he knew Isaiah passage, but this Isaiah passage became all of us. This is what happened. I didn't realize it. Everyone. That's why he said, not a single one is righteous. When you uh, look at Romans. Not a single one is righteous. From the, from the feet to the head, we are all contaminated. We are all sinful. No one is exempt from that. Even our Lord Jesus Christ was victim of this dark, evil age, and he died. The death came upon him. So he died on the cross. Even the Son of God could not be exempt from the effect and the power and influence of this dark age, and he died on the cross. But Paul discovered what should have been finished at the cross did not finish at the cross. Jesus' death on the cross would have been the end of everything, but that was not the end of everything. The death could not kill Jesus. The death could not bind Jesus. And that verdict to Paul was the resurrection. What should have finished at the cross did not finish at the cross and brought about resurrection. We human beings did not have to live as a victim of this present evil age because Jesus redeemed us from this dark present age. A new life, a new path was created. So let me explain a little bit with the picture. I'm not a good artist. But that part at the end, that is uh, the age in the future when everything is over. That's what's going to happen. But with Christ, that little path was created like that. Uh, not present dark age, but different age. Age to come. But that, that's narrow road that we are called to live and walk on that narrow road. But not everything is uh, uh, yet that, that future age did not come yet. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? No? That one is like that one. But th that one still did not. It's not yet. This is a this is present dark age. And this is new age. That is to come in the future. But already with Christ, narrow path was created so that we could walk 
we don't have to live in this present dark age. We could live in this narrow path. Now do you understand? <laughs> okay. Huh? Yeah, at the end, that's what's going to happen. When the end of the world comes, that's what's going to happen. God will bring, uh, bring to an end uh, this uh, dark age. But meanwhile, we live on that narrow path. Yeah. Yes. And so Jesus the way, the truth, and life, and then whoever follows the narrow road, that uh, road is created uh, for us. Then, I was wondering, what did Jesus do to bring the resurrection and the new age? What did Jesus do to bring this resurrection and the new age? Was it superpower he had? Like healing, exorcism, insights, power to control the wind, feeding 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish? Is it his superpower that brought resurrection in the new age? Or was it his perfection, like sinlessness? Was that, that innocence, that sinlessness brought the power of res uh, the, the resurrection and the new age. But when you read Paul's letter, as I said before, he was not at all interested in Jesus' superpower. Paul never mentions about healing story, exorcism story, feeding 5,000. He's not at all interested in historical Jesus walking on earth. He didn't mention anything about Jesus' wisdom and uh, Jesus, uh, all these things. He doesn't mention. Then in Paul, what did Jesus do? In Paul's mind, what did Jesus do? Two things. Two things. First is Jesus' faith. Jesus' faith. Even to the end Jesus believed. He believed in God's grace. He believed in God's mercy. He believed that the good will ultimately prevail over the evil. He believed that the power of grace is greater than the power of sin. He believed these things and he believed in God to the end until he died. That faith of Jesus. He mentions it in uh, Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedient to the point of death, we can see Jesus' faith. Until he died, he had faith and embraced his own death. He believed to the end. 
He didn't do anything on the cross. He could come down and then show the world the power that he had. He was able to do that. But on the cross, only thing that he did was he believed. He believed. He had faith in God. That's all he did. And the next thing is, next thing is, is what God did. When you read, therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it is God who did it. It is God who exalted him. It's not his own power that exalted himself. The only thing that he did was faith. only thing that he did was belief. And it was God who exalted him. And it put his name above every name. That was what Paul saw. Ah, it is faith. Nothing else. It was Jesus' faith. That's why he emphasized on faith rather than works. And the second, on the one hand, it was Jesus' faith. On the other hand, Jesus' love for the people. It is towards God, he had radical, absolute faith. And towards people, he had love to be willing to die for them. These two things. Faith and love. That opened the door for the new age. It allowed the new age to arrive. Jesus' faith and love triggered God's grace to move, and the power of God's grace is greater there, greater than the power of sin. So at the cross, Jesus' faith and love released the grace. And that grace, the power of grace, is greater than the power of sin. So power of sin cannot destroy human, humanity anymore. Because power of grace is greater. He realized that you cannot do this through circumcision. You cannot through this uh, keeping the law, commandment, no matter how innocently you live, no matter how righteously you try to live, you cannot do it. Paul was a Jew. Disciples were Jew. They were all circumcised. They, were, they all kept a Jewish tradition. They all tried to keep the law. But none of them. They could not bring this new age. 
So he really, he knew very clearly circumcision cannot do it. Keeping the law cannot do it. Keeping the tradition cannot do it. Only faith and love. Now it tells us what we should do. We can also have that absolute faith in God. In God's grace. No matter what happens in your life, you always have to believe that good will prevail over the evil. The light will prevail over the darkness. Forgiveness will prevail over sin. So even when you commit sin and live in guilt, when you're in guilt, if you have that faith, then you can come alive. You can come back out. But if, the, if you let the power of sin completely control you, there's no hope. If the power of weakness, your weakness, if you let that weakness completely control over you, there's no hope. But when you have faith, then that is possible. So in life, there's no other purpose. Being successful, making money, whatever. No, those are not purpose of life. Purpose of life, too. Believe in God. Love your neighbor. That's all you got to do. That's the only purpose. You make money to do that. You become successful to do that. Very clear goal Paul gave us. That's what Jesus did. 